You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. All right, ladies and gentlemen, very good evening to you. Thank you very much for coming to this. I think the fifth, is it only the fifth of our lectures in this series on 1918 and in New Europe? We have covered the uh, decline of the Habsburg monarchy and some of the successful states with focus on Czechoslovakia and Yugoslavia, but we have not really heard very much about Romania and we are going to correct that this evening with the help of Dr. Raul Kostocha. And Dr. Kostocha comes to us from a number of destinations educated in Bologna and in Budapest and who did his PhD with, I think, Dr. Rebecca Haynes in Cease uh, in the University of uh, London, and is now splitting his time between the Imre uh, Kertész uh, colleague in Jena, but he is a lecturer in European Studies at the Europa Universität in Flensburg. So he is a modern European in every sense of the world. But Raoul, we're delighted that you took the time to travel to Dublin to give the talk this evening. We are well aware that Dublin is not on the way to anywhere. <laughs> and out of your busy schedule, you're going to share with us your expertise in the subject. So we're very grateful to you for your time. And you're going to speak to us to the title, From the Ashes of Empire, Competing Nationalisms, and the Radicalization of Political Space in Interwar Romania. Thank you very kindly. We look forward to hearing what you have to say. Well, Thank you very much for the invitation. It's really an honor to be here, uh, to take part in this seminar, which uh, has before me given you such prestigious um, talks by very prestigious people. Uh, I hope I don't really disappoint you in this respect. What I prepared for today is a slightly broader picture, um, keeping in mind that, that you are as far as I know, not special, uh, an audience not specializing in Romania, and that Romania is a country of many, many contradictions where nothing is the way it's, it should be. Um, I prepared the talk that sort of places the story of 1919 in a more, in a long context. So I start, I have these five points, I've, I'm going to dedicate roughly ten minutes to each of them. I hope I, I stay on time, which is, by the way, that reminds me I should uh, definitely myself. And the first bit will speak briefly about Romania in the long 19th century, uh, about these questions or problems that structured nation building and that were seen by state makers and state builders as, as essential to, to building a modern nation state. And we'll speak about competing um, nationalisms that coexisted during this period. The second part will speak about how the war was lost and won. Uh, dealing with the period of 1914 and 1919. Then I will speak about briefly about Greater Romania and the permanence of questions, which uh, on the face of it seemed resolved after the end of World War I, but actually continued in different forms in, uh, in, in the war period. Then I'll come to the actual title of my talk, The Radicalization of Political Space, and paraphrasing the title of uh, favorite book of mine by Eugen Weber himself, an author born in Romania, um, also of Jewish origin and born in Romania around this time, um, peasants into Frenchmen. Uh, I'll argue why peasants in Romania did not become Romanians, but become fascists instead. 
And I'll speak about the legionary movement, the native fascist movement in Romania, and it's in the radicalization of inter political space that ensued as a result of their popularity. Finally, I'll conclude by talking about legacies and why I think after 1918, nationalism in Romania became ubiquitous, um, including during the communist period, and thus why 1918 still sends a long shadow that has resonated until today. Begin with the map. I like maps. Historians like maps. Um, just to show you where the old kingdom of Romania, so 19th century Romania, was placed. This is a map from 1881, so the, the neighbor to the south would be Bulgaria, Serbia, and so on, but just 50 years before, the neighbor to the south would be the Ottoman Empire. So you would have the Russian Empire to the east, the Austro-Hungarian Empire here to the west, and the, the Ottoman Empire to the south. As a Russian colleague once said, if you didn't know I was Romanian, you could have guessed it from the way I speak about um, overlapping and intersecting empires, because like Poland, and unlike most countries in, the, in, in Central and Eastern Europe, uh, Romania was not exposed to one or two empires, but to three. Um, that being said, it was never part of any of these empires. And this was one of the starting points for the Romanian state makers in the 19th century. They were making the argument that while Romania was a vassal state under Ottoman suzerainty, it had never actually been part of the Ottoman Empire. So the two, the two principalities, Wallachia and Moldova, which... Uh, would make up the, the kingdom of Romania in the 19th century, were dependent states but not provinces of any of these um, neighboring empires. The story of Romanian nation building begins with 1829, the Treaty of Adrianople, begins strangely under Russian occupation. Um, this was a, a, a treaty that concluded one of the many wars between the Russians and the Ottomans. And with this treaty, Romania became connected to the global capitalist economy. Before then, it was only trading with the Ottoman Empire. With 1829, Romania becomes open to trade and therefore becomes part of international politics. I'm focusing on a few landmarks. I don't have time to speak about any of these in details, but during the Q&A session, if you want to find out more about any of these moments, I'll be happy to, to talk about them. Um, another important moment was the 1848 revolution, like elsewhere in Europe. Like elsewhere in Europe, the revolution failed. Uh, it's was briefly successful in Wallachia and was immediately repressed in Moldova. But the leaders of the 1848 revolution managed to achieve legitimacy among European elites uh, while in exile in Western Europe. And they continued um, um, militating for uh, very pragmatic steps to, to the Romanian national, to their, to their national goals as Romanian politicians. The first of these was the union of, of the Romanian principalities in the idea that, that two is better than, than one. So in 1856, uh, one is better, sorry, that the largest state is better than two smaller states. So in 1856, they tried and succeeded to place the Romanian question on the agenda of the Congress of Paris, which concluded the Crimean War. But with the exception of France, no other Western power was in favor of the union of the principalities, and all the three neighboring empires were, were opposed to it as well. Um, however, they managed to replace the um, Ottoman uh, sovereignty with a collective guarantee of the great powers. And they also managed to get the right to have these ad hoc divans convened which would decide on the issue of union. These convened between 1857 and 1859, and unsurprisingly, they came up with very similar proposals in both Moldova and Wallachia, arguing for union of the principalities. 
While this was not allowed by any of the states, it was eventually accomplished to a subterfuge of sorts. The same person was elected in both principalities as, as, as prince, and therefore they were united under, under uh, uh, personal union in 1859, with the administrative union completed in 1861. The next step, the next crisis, was 1866, when the first prince, the, the first prince of the United Principalities, uh, abdicated, was forced to abdicate. And he had to be replaced quickly, and this time the politicians wanted a foreign prince. The first person they approached, in line with the Belgian model that was uh, a very important model for 19th century Romania, was Philip of Flanders, the, the brother of the king of Belgium, but he refused the throne. Uh, the one who accepted the throne was Karl of Hohenzollern Sigmaringen, a prince of German origins, who accepted the throne partly also at Bismarck's um, advice. The constitution was passed in 1866 as well. Um, also to give sort of substance to, to Romania, because the Ottoman Empire was contesting the Union, saying they only accepted it as a personal Union, so once that, king had, once that prince had stepped down, then the Union is no longer valid. The constitution was passed, this was the first constitution of Romania, and the country became known as Romania since. Another moment um, which the Romanian nation builders used was uh, the russo turkish War of 1877-1878, when Romania achieved independence at the Congress of Berlin, an independence conditioned both on a territorial um, exchange, giving up uh, Bessarabia, province of Bessarabia to the Russian Empire, acquiring Dobroja from the Ottoman Empire, and the emancipation of the Jews in Romania, which eventually it did not um, comply with. So the independence would be officially recognized only in 1881, the year when that, 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 that map was hinting at. Another crisis, this time of, of homegrown crisis, was the 1907 Peasant Revolt. Um, all these other crises were international moments that, that, that Romanian diplomats skillfully used to achieve the national goal. So Peasant Revolt was pretty much the opposite of that. It was something that they had continuously feared at the, at, towards the end of the century, uh, the beginning of the, of the new century. Uh, social unrest, and when it came, it came big in the form of the largest, uh, the last large Peasant Revolt in Europe. 11,000 peasants were killed in the repression of the, of, the, uh, of the peasant revolt, proving that while the elites had been very successful in talking to their international counterparts, they had been less successful in addressing the peasantry. Peasantry which was, on the one hand, in very dire material conditions, and on the other, um, presented as the authentic representative of the nation. Now, the way I look at these, and the way I look at these issues in, with, a, with a view to the interwar period, is along the lines of what Holly Case has recently called in her recent publication, The Age of Questions, the famous 19th century questions. The two main ones in Romania and their corollary um, were the national question, which was itself part of the Eastern question, which was the achievement of Romania's national goals, pursued very pragmatically, as I've tried to show earlier, first with the Union, then with independence, and after the independence was completed with this attempt to get all Romanians inside the, the Romanian state, given that there were uh, significant Romanian populations living outside the borders of the old kingdom of Romania. The social question in Romania translated into the peasant question and referred to this, to this um, dire material conditions that the peasantry experienced. The peasantry which made up 90% of the population at this time, in the late 19th century. So Romania was a country that wanted to be modern, urban, and industrial, and was neither of these things, was none of these things. Um, um, it had not industrialized, so the population was mainly split between a, a, a group consisting of the large and small landlords, and the majority, which, which were in agriculture. Um, 
And emancipating the peasants, partly in view of, of uh, extending the franchise and giving universal suffrage, was an obsession for the 19th century Romanian elites. However, as I was saying earlier, they, they, they've managed to achieve the national goals much better than they managed to achieve the social goals. And so the social question largely remained unresolved, partly because that reform was not enacted. The Jewish question sat at the intersection of these two. On the one hand, Jews were legally defined as, as foreigners uh, in the Constitution of 1866, and they constituted the largest minority in the Old Kingdom, making up about 4.5% of the population. In the Old Kingdom, Romanian made, Romanians made up about 92% of the population. So this was a remarkably homogeneous country for the, the area where it's located, Central Eastern Europe. Um, another way that the Jews were conceptualized were in light of this debates about an absent bourgeoisie Romania lacked, because it, Romania had not industrialized, so it lacked a, uh, lacked a middle class. This lack of a middle class was a major anxiety for 19th century Romanian elites, and they were afraid of foreigners as competition with the emerging national <coughs> middle class. Um, we can roughly distinguish three phases of Romanian nationalism in the 19th century. And, well, if we look at the long 19th century as going on, as some people argue, in, uh, in the case of Central Eastern Europe until World War II. Um, of course, these were not, cannot be neatly divided, and they overlapped and coexisted, but we can, they can still be roughly analytically separated in, in three main types or three main phases. The first entailed the wholesale imitation of Western models, a notion of acceleration and catching up with the more developed Western Europe. And this lasted roughly between 1829 and 1978, although already from the 1850s and 60s it started being contested. The second entailed an adaptation of Western models to local realities, and that this characterizes mostly the period between 1878 and World War I. A notion of, okay, we've tried to implement Western models in Romania, but they don't work, and they don't work because our reality is so different, so we need to adapt these models to local realities. And finally, a rejection of Western models that comes to be associated with the interwar period. Focusing just on the last of these makes us miss the bigger picture, which is why I wanted to have this introduction about the, the 19th century. Um, now, when the, when the war started, Romania was for the first two years neutral. Uh, the country had a formal alliance with the central powers and it had the German king, a German king who wanted to honor Romania's commitments towards the alliance, but it also had political parties and public opinion that were overwhelmingly in favor of the Entente, and the king did not want to antagonize those. There were also various prizes offered for joining the war. Um, the central powers offered Bessarabia, which had been lost in 1878 to the Russian Empire. The Entente had more to offer, Transylvania, Bukovina, and the Banat, all part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. But the Entente was, however, much more skeptical about offering these prizes directly, whereas the Central Powers promised, promised West Arabia. So the Entente went back and forth about what parts of Transylvania, Bukovina, and the Banat Romania would get, or if it would get any at all, because the notion of the collapse of the dual monarchy, as you know from previous lectures, was not necessarily something that they one did at the beginning of the war. So the, the position of Romania was neutrality while trying to obtain concessions from both sides. With the death of King Carl I in October 1914, however, and, and in, in August Romania declared neutrality. Uh, with the death of King Carl I in October 1914 and succession by his nephew, King Ferdinand I, there was, however, a sharp, sharp turn away from the central powers. So in, in, um, in 1916, Romania joined the war. 
This came with a declaration of war on Austro-Hungary on the 28th of August 1916. Actually, the night before, on the night of the 27th to the 28th of August, the main armies had crossed the border into the Carpathians. How do I go back here? I think like this, okay. So, if you use this map and that's why I have this pointer, these are the borders of pre-1918 Romania. The map is of Greater Romania, the state that came into existence at the end of World War One. Bessarabia, the province that was acquired from the Russian Empire, is here. Bukovina is there. Um, the Banat is here. And Transylvania is here in the middle. Um, the main attack into Austro-Hungary came through the mountains in 1916. Uh, I'll keep coming back to this map. Hope I, I can. Um, the army was poorly trained and inadequately equipped, and this was known to the Romanian state, which is one of the reasons why 1914 neutrality was uh, the main option. Um, inadequately equipped is the essential element here, because Romania throughout the, the war that it fought was completely reliant on foreign supplies of ammunition. Just to, to give you a hint of how catastrophic the situation was, the domestic supply of ammunition could provide two shells per each cannon and one cartridge for each rifle per day. You don't fight the war with those. So you need ammunition to come from outside. Now the problem with coming from outside is once the Bulgaria, once Bulgaria launched an attack on Serbia, the Balkan route was blocked. So supplies had to come all the way through the Russian Empire from its easternmost border crossing over the Russian Empire, getting to the westernmost border and getting to the Romanian army, which made for very problematic supplies during the campaign. This was linked to the aforementioned issue of industrial underdevelopment, the, the, the big problem of 19th century Romania. So, as, this, as, as it could be anticipated given the situation, initial advances in Transylvania were followed by a counteroffensive of German and Austro-Hungarian armies in Transylvania, and German and Bulgarian armies attacking from the south in Dobrogen. While the Romanians fought bravely on the mountain passes, especially eventually the, the, the armies broke through, and Germans were in Bucharest by the 6th of December 1916, with half the country occupied. The only border that, that held was one in Moldova, roughly around here, and the, the, the government took refuge in Yash. Throughout 1917, there was a stalemate. Uh, Germans attacked several times, but this time the Romanian defenses held them off. Um, but the impact of the Russian Revolution was devastating, because once again, Romania was heavily dependent on the Russian Empire being stable for its supply of ammunition. There was also, of course, social unrest, uh, social unrest that, that spread to Romanian soldiers, from the Russian soldiers with whom they were in contact. Um, all of these led to the Peace of Bucharest of the 7th of May 1918, which um, was tantamount to a capitulation of Romania to the Central Powers under extremely harsh terms. Two-thirds of the country were under German occupation, with the rest of the army crammed in the remaining one-third. Um, part of the, of, the, of the terms of the peace had been massive territorial losses to the Central Powers, as well as a concession to oil and other Romanian minerals for a century to Germany. Uh, so in, in May 1918, the situation was pretty desperate. However, the war was eventually won. But the war was won between 1918 and 1919, so beyond the space of the 11th of November armistice. 
Um, first of all, King Ferdinand I never ratified the Treaty of Bucharest, which at the Paris Peace Conference was proved to be proved to be quite decisive because at the Paris Peace Conference the great powers made the point that Romania had surrendered. A country like Serbia had never surrendered, and, um, but Romania had surrendered the central powers with this Peace of Bucharest. But since the king never ratified the treaty, the Romanians could claim that they had not in, in fact surrendered to the Germans. Uh, and there was still a Romanian army in the northeast of the country. There was also some good news coming, although independently of, of the Romanians making, and that is that following the Russian Revolution, Bessarabia, uh, this province of, of the Russian Empire, declared independence as the Moldovan Federative Democratic Republic. It declared independence in February 1918, and because the majority of the elites that established independence were pro-Romanian, they also voted union with Romania in March 1918. Um, towards the end of the year, with the Austro-Hungarian Empire unraveling, Romania re-entered the war on the 10th of November 1918, which is a great time to re-enter the war. Um, the army advanced into Montenegro, Dobrogea, and Transylvania. Um, King Ferdinand I re-entered Bucharest on the 1st of December 1918, the day of, of celebrated today as Romania's national day. Um, on the same day, um, the Romanians of Transylvania declared union with the motherland. Uh, the Romanians of Bukovina had done so uh, before, on the 28th of November. Um, the, those of Transylvania did so in the Grand National Assembly held at Alba Iulia, which to this day is the, the symbol of, of, the, of the Great Union of 1918. What is less mentioned in national and nationalist narratives about the Union is that this Union was with conditions. Both Bessarabia and Transylvania agreed to join Romania on conditions that their autonomy would be respected. In Transylvania, this was under the, the Moldovans gave it up in December 1918, uh, so it was only between March and December that they insisted on these conditions. The Transylvanians uh, insisted on having um, uh, a form of autonomous self government and also guarantees of um, self-determination for the, the national minorities. The national minorities in Transylvania were significant, agreed to the Union only on condition that their rights be respected. Um, this notion of any kind of self-government for Transylvania was scrapped by Bucharest in, in 1920, uh, and the Romanian state would be highly centralizing throughout the interwar period. Um, at the Paris Peace Conference, Bratiano, the Romanian Prime Minister's demands were seen as excessive. The, 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 the territory he demanded from, um, for, for Romania, especially in Transylvania, was excessive. And Romania would have probably never got those excessive demands if it were not for the decisive intervention of the Romanian army against the Hungarian Soviet Republic, which lasted the intervention of the Republic. The Republic was established one month earlier in March. The intervention lasted from April to August 1919. Um, and in, on the 4th of August 1919, the Romanian army entered Budapest. The head of that army was a very young Antonescu, um, who would later become notorious as the wartime dictator of World War II Romania. Um, Antonescu was staunchly communist, and one thing to be kept in mind about 1918 is that the Union had a very pronounced anti-communist character, and I'll get back to that a bit later. Attempts to contain communism were also pivotal to the outcome internationally. Uh, as one French newspaper uh, argued in 1919, Poland and Romania were the two pillars of the thermopile of Western civilization 
preventing the spread of Bolshevism westwards and preventing especially this bridge between um, revolutionary Russia and revolutionary Germany that um, Western Europe feared. The line that, that uh, the Allies had agreed was supposed to be on the Moresh River. So this would have been the, the, the border of, between Romania and Hungary in the original plans. All this extra, extra piece of the country, especially the crucial city of, of Oradea, which was the second largest industrial city in the Hungarian part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire at this time, were prizes that Romania got, uh, not on the basis of the nationality principle, not on the basis of ethnicity, but because of its intervention against the Hungarian Soviet Republic. Um, uh, a map of Europe at this time would show you the importance of Poland and Romania as a bulwark against the USSR and, and as a sort of a barrier preventing the spread of the revolution between revolutionary Russia and revolutionary Germany. As you know, at this time, Germany was also having its own socialist revolutions. Um, and of course, once the war was won, all this story about how the war had been lost until May 1918 was, was gone. And all that remained was a, a notion of the glorious campaign fought by Romanian soldiers for the liberation of Transylvania, as exemplified by this medal issued um, for soldiers who took part in the campaign. Ardell is the Romanian name for Transylvania. Uh, so we get to the we get to get to the, the state that was established in 1918. Both the territory and the population doubled. If you, if you I keep going back to this map. It's, I know it's not the prettiest map, but it's the best I can find. The if you, take, if you take the borders of the Old Kingdom, the, the territory that required both to the east and to the west made, made pre-war Romania double in size. Population more than doubled. Uh, eight and a half million people were added to the existing eight, uh, making up for 16.5 million uh, population. There was also a major increase in industrial capacity, 235 uh, 235%. Uh, as compared to the pre-war capacity with the acquisition of Transylvania and the Banat. Part of the reason why Romanians, beyond these national ideals, were so interested in particularly those provinces, more than they were interested in Bessarabia. Um, this came at a price, though. There were massive losses in World War I. Um, about half the initial soldiers, half the number of soldiers who were initially mobilized were killed. Um, if you add the wounded and the missing, the figure goes to about 70%. Uh, if you count the civilian population, Romania lost 10% of its pre-war population. So this was a this was catastrophic in terms of, of, of death toll. It was also very very bad in terms of economic damage. Industrial output, depending on the on the, on the industry, varied between 25 and 45% of pre-war figures at the end of 1919. Agriculture was at 65% of the pre-war levels. So the situation was extremely bad economically. Um, the Romanians, in terms of Nationality, of course, Romania got bigger, but also much more diverse. Romanians had been 92.1% in the according to the 1912 census, and they were less than 71% in Greater Romania. 9.3% Hungarians was the largest minority, followed by Jews with 5.3%, Ukrainians 4.7%, and Germans 4.3%. All these numbers would decline between 1919 and uh, the first interwar census, which which uh, was held in 1930. But still, they would remain, even by the 1930 census, approximately 26% um, of the population, national minority. 
Another issue that confronted Romania was that these minorities were mostly urban, educated, and they represented the economic, political, and cultural elites in the newly acquired provinces. So the situation, as elsewhere, was one of ethnic reversals, and that came in the context of an aggressive centralizing state project of cultural homogenization, which aims, first and foremost, to educate a national elite that would replace the previous imperial minorities um, in the newly acquired provinces. An ethnic map of Romania clearly shows you that the places where Romanians were an overwhelming majority of the population follow the borders of the old kingdom with just a few exceptions. The counties here, this one here, and the two counties there. Um, these are the, the, the dark purple uh, color is where Romanians are more than 75% of the population. So corresponding to the actual proportion in the overall, overall picture of the population. The yellow, the sort of the lighter purple is more than 50%, and the even lighter one is where Romanians were under 50%. Of course, there are the three counties which are still uh, predominantly Hungarian today, quite visible on the, on the map. Uh, so, on the face of it, the 19th century questions were meant to be solved. Um, Greater Romania had been established. Most Romanians lived within the borders of Romania. The, the borders were more spacious than, than most nationalists would have hoped, uh, would have dared hope before the war. Um, so that there goes a national question solved. Uh, universal male suffrage, which was enacted in 1918 and first came about in the elections of 1919, and land reform, which took place in 1921, solved the social and peasant questions. Um, the Constitution of 1923 and Jewish emancipation, Romania being the last country in Europe to emancipate its Jewish population, solved the Jewish question. But the solutions were unsatisfactory to many. The fate of the peasants did not improve, and elites failed to mobilize them politically. Another very important aspect of, of interwar Romanian politics is that most of it took place on the right. And this was because the main victim of 1918 and of the establishment of Greater Romania was the left. Anti-communism was central to the Union of 1918, both nationally, um, where socialist unrest in Romania took place between 1918 and 1920, was seen as a major threat. Of course, with an international dimension, because the Soviet Union was next door, so the, uh, the threat of revolution spreading was 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 uh, perceived as very acute. When Hungary was uh, also went Soviet, there was this notion of a socialist encirclement that uh, from the east and west Romania was surrounded by socialists. Um, but also internationally, so not, not from the Romanian perspective, but from the perspective of the great powers, anti-communism was very important for, uh, and, and justifies this highly favorable territorial settlement in favor of Romania. Consequently, the Romanian Communist Party was viewed as anti-national. It was made illegal in 1924. Um, part of that was its own fault. Uh, it had argued for the return of the province of Bessarabia to the Soviet Union, following the, the orders of the Comintern, something which was an act of political suicide in, in so close to the to the war and so close to the achievement of the, of, of the Union. Um, because the Communist Party was illegal, social democracy was of necessity very moderate and quite weak in, in the Romania. Soviet Union was perceived mostly as a continuation of, of Russian imperialism, so very much in a, in a colonial sense. And as a result, all the inter Romanian politics took place on the right. Um, the major intellectual debates, something that Keith Hitchens has described as the great debate, followed 
very much this earlier notion in the 19th century of one imitation of Western models, two adaptation to a primarily agrarian society. So the, the difference being between the Europeanists and the tra traditionalists, as Hitchens calls them, I don't necessarily agree with the notion of traditionalists because they were not, most of them were not aiming for a return to anything, to any kind of peasant past, but rather for a development that would take into account Romania's peasant peasant. Um, but in between these two positions of one industrialization on the model of the West to developing an economy and a society um, corresponding to Romania's actual social conditions, more and more increasingly notions of a third way, and also a third way between capitalism and socialism emerged. There was a social dimension to the growth of right-wing radicalism. And that social dimension had to do with this, with this educational reform, that the, the center of the interwar Romanian state project of cultural homogenization, which translates into a massive expansion of the higher education system. The student enrollment tripled from pre-war figures um, in, in interwar Romania. And because of the land reform, the sons of peasants got to attend university in large numbers for the first time. Because of the, comp of, of the fact that socialism and left-wing politics generally were compromised, student politics and young politics mostly meant nationalism, anti-communism, and a, a trope which would become very powerful and very dangerous in Romania, that of Judeo-Bolshevism. Um, as a result, this expansion in higher education also meant um, the rise of, of, uh, of student politics that also translated into radicalization of anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism had been present in 19th century Romania, actually one can say only present. Like I said, the Jewish question was one of the main questions of 19th century Romania. But it had previously been limited to parliamentary debates. After the war, anti-Semitism would come to the streets, transformed from parliamentary debates to street violence. Um, and the roots of the Romanian fascist movement, the Legion of the Archangel Michael, also known as the Iron Guard of the 1930s, uh, are to be found in this anti-Semitic student movement that started in the 1920s. Now, why I, I prefer to call it the Legion of the Archangel Michael, the reason for that is that the Iron Guard was something that was supposed to be different altogether. It was established in 1930 by the legionaries uh, as an umbrella organization where the Legion would be part of any other nationalist organization that was anti-communist would join. So uh, the Iron Guard was supposed to be in a joint nationalist anti-communist front, since no one else joined because all the nationalist organizations in Romania were very much in competition with one another and not cooperating. The two came to overlap, but the Legion had been established earlier. The legionaries never referred to themselves as guardists. They referred to themselves as legionaries, so I prefer to use that denomination. Um, this also witnessed, I mean, the, the, the rise of, of fascist politics into Romania also uh, attested to a generational shift in Romanian nationalism with the young fascists being the ones most able to capitalize on the extension of the franchise. And here you have two very visible differences, uh, a very visible difference between two generations of nationalists. One is Alexandru Sikusa, um, who was the main promoter of anti-Semitism in late 19th century Romania and also during the interwar period. He was the mentor and the, the teacher of Cornelius uh, Zerakodnaum, the leader of Romania's interwar fascist movement, the, guy, the, the younger guy on the, on the, on the left. Um, and uh, he was also his, his godfather on a, on a more personal note. Kuza um, is clearly a product of the uh, 19th century, a, a bourgeois elite, if you, if you will. Kodan wore the peasant costume in the, in the beginning, before switching to uniforms once the movement became uh, way more uh, visibly paramilitary. <coughs> 
And, they, and the two had also very different approaches to politics. So, what came out of this radicalization of, of uh, Romanian nationalism was the fact that the Legion of the Archangel Michael eventually became the third largest fascist movement in Europe, and the only one that came to power without support from Nazi Germany or fascist Italy. So, seeing it as a minor or peripheral movement is clearly wrong, both in terms of its impact within Italian Romania and of its continuing legacy today, not just in Romania, but outside. In the last year's Charlottesville uh, white supremacist rally, the organizer of the rally is Ward Richard with Cornelia He also self-identifies as a follower of the legionary movement, and he claims this legacy as, a, as proof of him not being a neo-Nazi, because, I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons why Kogan became a popular model for the post-war fascist right. Well, there are several reasons. One, he died in 38, so he can't be associated with World War II and the Holocaust. Two, um, the Romanian Romanian fascism and its anti-Semitism was mostly focused on religion rather than race. So neo-Nazis today, trying, trying to claim they're not neo-Nazis, are the same well, we're, we're followers of the legionary movement, and we believe in religion, not race. Um, that said, I, I can speak more about this, but it's, it's, it's really a, a powerful model. Interestingly, for the context, it developed from a very small group of five students to a nationwide mass movement with cross-class membership in only one decade, between 1927-1937. If you're trying to find out groups that did not join the movement, you're hard-pressed, because the only group that they didn't manage to penetrate was the army. And that's because the army was loyal to the king, and the king was, for most of the time, opposed to the regional movement, except for the army. There were two feminist groups in Romania, both of them joined the legion. Um, from intellectuals to working class to peasants, uh, to um, from uh, the, the top intellectual elites of the country to village school teachers, the region managed to penetrate Romanian society and get membership quite spectacularly. It was it came third in the nineteen thirty seven elections with fifteen point fifty eight percent of the vote, and it was the, the elections were of thirty seven were cancelled. Um, the king brought another radical right party to power in order to sort of stop the, the regionally increasing popularity and scheduled new elections for the spring of 1938. Those were eventually cancelled because the reports from the territory were coming back from the police saying the legionaries will win this once. Don't do elections because they are set to win them. Um, and the king eventually established his royal dictatorship in, uh, uh, in the spring of 1938. Uh, the membership of the legionary movement before taking power uh, proportionate to the population was 1.79%, which is higher than both of the National Socialist Party and of the Italian Partito Nazionale Fascista. If we need further proof, these were not marginal or, or small peripheral factors. Um, and this came despite, I mean, this popularity came despite, one, the acute competition for the nationalist vote in Italy, Romania, when all parties, whether liberal, Christian, Democrat, um, peasantist, were national uh, or nationalist. And it also came in the context of an aggressively nationalizing state, and it came in the context of a nationalizing state that was fundamentally opposed to the movement and repressed it for most of this period. Um, picture of the five founders of the, the, the group here are the five original founders, all dressed in peasant costumes, of course. Here had, they had just been arrested for a plot to kill um, what they called six representatives of Jewish power, i.e. prominent rabbis, bankers, and journalists as well as six Romanian politicians they considered traitors for voting the 1923 constitution, which had um, given equal rights to Jews. The guy, the sixth guy over here is the guy who betrayed the plot to the police, and the plot was completely unrealistic. They had one gun, 
for the for all six of them, and with one gun they were supposed to kill twelve politicians. Um, uh, this guy is the guy who revealed the plot to the police. Um, the, the five who didn't uh, eventually founded the movement. This is ten years later, and this is the funeral of one of the previous ones, the guy here who died in Spain fighting for the nationalist side and who was buried in Bucharest in a funeral that was not state-sanctioned, so the states um, made it explicit that this is not a state-sanctioned event. 200,000 people showed up. In comparison, uh, the funeral of King Ferdinand, uh, the, the king who had made the union in 1927, had been attended by 120,000 people as a state-sanctioned event. Um, so this is how the, the legion looked like in 1937. It's cross-formations of, of legionaries in, in uniform demonstrating the, 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 the order and the discipline of, of, uh, of the legions. So how did this happen? How did peasants become fascists rather than Romanians? Well, they became fascists rather than Romanians for two reasons. The state failed to make them Romanians, although it tried from the 19th century and tried uh, after 1918. And it, it happened because the, because the absence of, the le of a left uh, created the space for radical political projects on the right. That is why most groups that you associate with emancipatory politics are to be found in inter-Romania with the fascist movement rather than with their usual, uh, with the usual suspects, social democrat or you know, communist party. The legion was successful at engaging and mobilizing the peasants, which were the overwhelming majority of the population. In the census of 1930, seven, according to the census of 1930, 79% of the population was still working in agriculture. The figure was 70% even in 1940. So, this, were, this was the bulk of the population without mobilizing. You, you couldn't have a mass following into Romania without mobilizing the peasantry. And the peasants had been seen and conceptualized by the other parties as being passive, um, as being uninterested in politics. This was the usual depiction of, of the peasant. Instead, I argue for reading this indifference to a state nationalizing project as a form of agency on behalf of the peasants. Quite simply, the liberal elites were attuned to Europe and to European ideals, Whereas peasants were much more susceptible to a message of social justice, which was combined with emotional, national, and religious content that was rooted in peasant culture. And here, the mobilization strategies of the, of the legion were very important because they included direct contact with the legionary leadership, which knew how to speak to the peasants. In, in 19th century Romania, this had been a veritable obsession for, for, the, for the elites. There were prizes given for the best peasant novel or the best, um, the best uh, publication engaging the peasantry in their own language. And all of these had, had lamentably failed. But the legionary leadership, because it came from the, from the village, knew how to speak to the peasants. And their mobilization strategies proved way more effective than those of the traditional political parties. Um, this notion of liberal elites attuned to Europe and the mass of the population that was susceptible to something completely different is something that might be seen as presenting very uh, problematic parallels with the situation today in many places in Central and Eastern Europe, incidentally. Um, basically, I argue that the reason why, why the fascist movement managed to, to succeed where the, the state failed was that the state's project of cultural mobilization without, the, uh, without social economic empowerment was in, insufficient for a class which had very specific material interests and that, that you know, the, the legionary movement tended to. The result was this, 1940, when the Legion came to power, a massive peasant parade in, in, in Bucharest. Peasants were very visible during the, the time in power of the Legionary Movement between 1940 and 1941. 
And with this, I come to my conclusion. Why does it, why does it matter? In 1938, Codrano was uh, assassinated by Rodolfo Finkau II. The legionary movement, yes, came to power without support from Nazi Germany and fascist Italy, but it stayed in power for three months, uh, between September 1940 and January 1941. Um, but the legacy of this interwar right-wing nationalist, um, of, of interwar right-wing nationalism, is one that continues today. First, from 1938 to 1989, the country went through a succession of dictatorships. It had never, the, the democratic experiment in Romania was over in 1938, and it only appeared again after the fall of communism. Between 1938 and 1989, it was a succession of The first of these was that of King Carl II, between 1938 and 1940, um, followed by the National Legionary State, established in September 1940 until January 1941. The dictatorship of Ion Antonescu, between 1941 and 1944, responsible for carrying out the Holocaust in Armenia. Um, period of turmoil between 1944 and 1947, which you can certainly not call democratic. It was um, one, on the one hand, extremely confusing, and no one was really in power except, on the one hand, the army for the duration of the war, and then the Soviets, who had, uh, who very much controlled Romanian politics between 45 and 47. And in 1947, the communist uh, regime was installed, last until 1989. Nationalism was an essential component of all of these dictatorships, of that of King Carlo, of the legionary one, of Antonescu's, and of the communist one. It was only absent when it was explicitly and forcefully banned by the Soviet Union, so between 1947 and 1958. And while this was not state policy between 1947 and 1958, during this period there was armed resistance against communism, the, the, the guerrillas fighting in the mountains, among which the, the legionaries were once again prominent. About 80% of these anti-communist resistance fighters were legionaries, um, because they knew how to fight. And they had paramilitary training as part of their uh, membership in the legionary movement. After 1958, a year that's important because that's when the Soviets, the Red Army gets out of Romania. As soon as the Red Army gets out, Gheorghe Gheorghe, the, the Romanian uh, communist leader, switches back to nationalism because communism remained unpopular in Romania as long as it was anti-national. With the switch back to nationalism of, of Gheorghe Gheorghe, communism itself becomes a quite a popular dictatorship in Romania. This is especially true for Ceausescu's national communism after 1965, albeit only until 1980s, until the 1980s, when his plan to pay off Romania's foreign debt leads to such severe shortages that there was no way that his popularity would be sustained. But between 65 and 1980, he's extremely popular. He's extremely popular because he basically creates a, a, recreates a national mythology that is all but fascist in nature. Daniel Shiro, an, an American scholar writing on Romania in 1979, directly states um, that Ceausescu's regime at the time had uh, clear uh, fascist inspirations. And in fact, the, 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 the blueprints for the 1965 industrialization plan that Ceausescu put through were from a fascist uh, economist of the interwar period, Herman Elescu. Uh, during post-communism, as in many other parts of Central Eastern Europe, there was a resurgence of nationalism, including the liberalization of the regional movement as patriots, martyrs, and saints of communist repression. Uh, as the major enemy of the Romanian Communist Party, and the one enemy, enemy they feared the most, legionaries had indeed made up the, the bulk of, of people in, in communist prisons, 
they have been subjected to the most repressive regimes uh, of, of terror during, during communism, which meant that after 89, they of course were the, the, at the forefront of this um, martyrology focusing on the, on the victims of communism. In contemporary Romania, this is not, not politically mobilized, and this makes Romania an exception in Central and Eastern Europe. We don't have a right-wing populist party. Um, so on the, again, if, we, if you're not very familiar with the situation in the country, it looks actually quite good. We have the Social Democrats in power. They won the, the elections with, with, uh, um, in, a, in a landslide victory the, the last elections. So why, why, why worry? Why, why bother? Well, on the one hand, because the left is still seen as illegitimate. Um, the social democrats are not really social democratic. About a month ago, Romania had a referendum on um, making gay marriage unconstitutional, and this referendum was proposed by the social democrats. Not really a social democratic move, uh, one would think. On the other hand, these bureaucratic protests were got a lot of media attention this, this summer, protests against the, the corruption of the government, but they are framed as protests, protests against the Red Plague, and by Red Plague they mean communism in all of its forms, including the social democrats today, which are associated with the former communist regime. I'll conclude by, 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 by talking about two things that, that happened at this centennial. One was a documentary called Queen Marie, the Heart of Romania. And it's interesting because this is the first time that, that Queen Marie is so prominent and central to commemorating 1918 in the Romanian public space. And it was a, it was, it's a very sanitary way of referring to, to 1918 without antagonizing um, anyone. First of all, she was, you know, she, was, she was a nice queen, everyone agrees to that. Um, she didn't have anything to do with the union of 1918 per se, but her presence at the front, the fact she, she worked as a nurse and tended to wounded peasant soldiers, makes her you know, a, a positive image. She was also the granddaughter of Queen Victoria. And if you think of the obsessions of, of Romanian elites about peripherality to Europe, about backwardness, about catching up with the more developed West, this lineage, or this link to, to, the, to the prime uh, European globalizer, uh, to, the, to the driver of, of Western modernity, is, a, is an interesting one. She's a woman, so that makes for a progressive narrative for a party that just a month ago was trying to make the emergent constitutional. Um, she's, she's many things, but she's not part of the actual 1918 story. What's, what is part of the 1918 story is this anti-communist form of nationalism which marks Romania's history to today. And the day before the 1st of December, on the 30th of November, a joint choir of the Patriarchy and the Army, the two institutions that, according to all opinion polls in Romania, enjoy the most legitimacy in post-communist Romania, sang a song called One Day We Will Return, which was written by the legionary poet, Radu Gir, and whose eventual promise to return refers to Romania's entire fascist movement. Thank you.